So you've applied to every arts grant under the sun. But maybe all those YouTube plays are really just your mum. You learn lines all night and wait tables by day. Or maybe you've made it, but can't help reading what the trolls have to say. Well, we say thank you for sharing the things that you make. Thank you for sharing the joys and the heartbreaks. Thank you for sharing the darkness as well as the light. Feel free to be funny, sarcastic, or sad, or uncertain, or exceedingly polite. Honestly, honesty is the best policy. Sharing your truth can bring love or hilarity. Somebody listening might just begin to share too. Thank you for sharing. Welcome to Thank You For Sharing, a podcast to open up conversations with artists and creatives about mental health and self-care. And this is our season one preview show. So season one is currently in the making and it's going to take the form of eight guest interviews released over eight consecutive weeks in the new year. And in this episode, I'm going to share with you preview clips from our first four guest interviews, as well as revealing who will also be sharing their stories with us in the second half of the season. If you're enjoying the show, do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to make sure you don't miss upcoming episodes. And you can have a listen to our initial trailer to learn a little bit more about me and why I felt compelled to set the podcast up. And if you haven't listened already, do listen to our Edinburgh Fringe Roundtable episodes with the fabulous Jen Wakefield, Jos Norris, Helen Monks and Alice Marshall. You can follow us on Twitter at TYFS Podcast and email us at thankyouforsharingpodcast at gmail.com with any inquiries or feedback. Uh, This is the formal introduction. I'm going to cut to my introduction part two now, which was recorded when I was in the midst of quite a quite a tired December brain. Do we know the feeling? Yeah, busy, busy times. Um, And I'm not going to cut it out completely because this podcast where we encourage honesty about our mental health. So here's a very sleepy gem to say hello and tell you a little bit more about the season. Hello, everybody. How are we? You can't answer that because this is a one-way medium but maybe one day we can have some telephone calls in don't know how that works I'm already barely I'm already struggling with the technology as it is so maybe that'll take some time thank you so much to all the lovely people we've connected with on Twitter so far had some really nice conversations and people reaching out to come on the podcast which is so exciting um yeah and so basically I am sorry I'm really sorry that there hasn't really been anything on the podcast for quite a while um yeah it turns out yeah I'm slow at technology and um yeah it takes a lot of time um and you know life's incredibly busy isn't it especially in December for everybody I mean everyone's like running around and in London it's busy kind of in the yeah microcosm of busy um and yeah so and you know like doing all the acting and writing and comedy and holding down day jobs and uh trying to look after my mental health at the same time that would be quite ironic if uh I uh started a podcast about mental health and destroyed my own mental health in the process so that's not going to happen so what we're going to do with this is not set any strict deadlines and just and know that it's just plodding along and we will get 
episodes out as soon as we can. So I've had um, the privilege of talking to some incredible people over the past few months and I'm going to be talking to even more over the next few weeks. Um, And yeah, so we'd love to show you some little snippets from those fab conversations. Um, First, I feel like I've ummed a million times. Sorry, it's that December brain. And I nearly did it again. And I'm not going to not. I'm going to say, the first person I'd like to introduce you to is Lisa McMullen. Lisa McMullen is a dear friend of mine, lover's pieces. I was really lucky to be in a play of hers called Rapture uh, at the Etc. Theatre and Barons Court Theatre. She's an amazing playwright, writes for television. She's been writing on Doctors, EastEnders, Big Finish, uh, which is the radio series um, inspired by Doctor Who and lots of other awesome stories. And she's got her own projects in development currently with some really exciting producers. And we had some really lovely chats and I'm going to share some of that with you now. Is mental illness, is it something that, I mean, it's an illness. Mm. And I think we quite often we think of it as something having said I wouldn't describe it as being part of my personality but it can still be something that you like if you suffer from eczema or asthma Mm. that's not part of your personality but it's something you have to live with true True. Um, and I think mental illness is is the same it's like that Um, where it might be something that you've always had and will always have yeah um but it doesn't define who you are as a person or it yeah. shouldn't define who you are as a person. Absolutely. I think it's something that has always been with me, but I didn't know what it was. Didn't have vocabulary for um, it. So as a child, I would have Saturdays or days and holidays where, and your parents would say, oh, you're bored, you're bored. But I'd have this sort of deep sense of emptiness. <laughs> and, and this is young, right? Yeah, from, from a, a really young child. Wow. But you can't, as a as a kid, you don't know what to do with feelings. Yeah. Um, or you don't really, you don't realise you're having feelings. Yeah. Um, and just a, a real, which I think, and it was never because of anything, yeah. never because something had happened or I was upset about something. Um, and it was just a really horrible feeling. And I used, I went through when I was about ten. Hmm. I went through a weird phase of having panic attacks in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. But I didn't know what they were. Um, it was around about my birthday, and I was having a party, and I don't know if it was connected. I can't imagine. Cause but, I, again, there was nothing to trigger it, nothing. Was it you waking? Because there's a term, night terrors. Were you... Well, like... I've always... <laughs> How long is this podcast? <laughs> I've always screamed in the night. Even in every night, no, all right, (laughs) Um, and it wakes you up sometimes. It wakes me up, sometimes it just wakes everybody everybody else up. So, I I remember when I was about 17, I went to visit a friend who lived in who'd emigrated to Australia, yeah, and I woke up in the middle of the night with the whole family gathered around my bed. Oh my god, what? What? You were screaming, we thought you were being (gasps) murdered. I was like. And it really, my poor parents, they were so concerned. They thought something traumatic must have happened to me. Really? Um, That's interesting um, that they were investigatory in that sense. Yeah. Right. Um, And I, I, most of the time I just 
didn't know I was doing it because mm. I was <laughs> sleeping merrily through, but sometimes it was so loud I'd wake myself. Yeah. Um, but I think it's connected to that excess of emotion or imagination or just the brain not knowing when to stop, you know. And I've always been quite melodramatic. My mum calls me Dramatic Alice. I don't know who Alice was, but... That's so interesting because... Maybe because I'm also melodramatic. <laughs> but I... I, You also are very good at being very calm. Very good yeah. Very good at being a strong for other people. Do you think... May, is, is it that you can be... For other people, that's yeah. can come out. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I am. Yeah, which helped with the teaching. That yeah. Sort of calmness and... Yeah. Um, it's strange, isn't it? Because, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, quiet and calm. But I, I think that's part part of a problem as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that you... And it, it's... It, I don't like confrontation. I don't know if you're Oh, I... I'm getting better, but yes, uh, hence why I'm such a people pleaser because yeah. anything to avoid um, the idea that I've upset somebody yes. or yeah. and uh, being able to accept that that's an okay thing. It happens. Human beings are bound to do that. All yeah, that sort of I'm stuff. exactly the same. And so I think you overcompensate by placating and placating and placating and just keeping what you really feel <gasps> down. Yes, yes. And then it has to eventually... It, it has to go somewhere. So where did it go for you? All over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, sir. What a ledge. Um, we talk about anxiety and depression quite a lot. Uh, we've both had similar struggles with that uh, and a lot of the things that go with that, like catastrophizing, the ideas of shame um, and uh, recognising the uh, solace and comfort that can come from sharing stories about your brain and hearing someone else go yeah that happens to me too um so it was really really lovely um to have such in-depth chats with her about that she also talks about uh what led her to become a writer what she loves about writing uh what sort of things she gravitates to writing as opposed to maybe what she gravitates to watching which is quite interesting uh and we also talk about um what the arts industry could do maybe to um to facilitate uh, better communication about mental health uh, within the working environment. Uh, and so there's really interesting chats about that. So thank you, Lisa, for sharing. Our next guest is Ellie Novella. Ellie is another dear friend of mine. She is the co-creator of this podcast. She's been a huge support in me setting it up. She wrote, performed and recorded the theme song, which you hear every episode and you can groove to and sing along. We'd love to do like a mass sing along of it one day in a pub, maybe for a live show. Um, and she also did the artwork that you see on iTunes and on our Twitter page. She describes herself as, oh, I've lost her page. Got all my notes up here for all my lovely people. Bam, bam, bam. She is a clothes-making comedy songwriter lady. And she is so multi-talented. Uh, among, as well as all those things, she also is a fabulous writer. Uh, she is an amazing epic gardener. Uh, her current project is a zine called So Irregular. At S-E-W-I-R-R-E-G-U-L-A-R. 
love and respect the pun there. Uh, she is uh, about to release her second issue of that, and that is a zine celebrating clothing cultures beyond fast fashion. Issue one is out, and uh, on her Etsy shop, if you Google Etsy shop so irregular, issue two will be out really, really soon, and I'll tell you more details of that after a little snippet from hearing her talk about it. I love, I love making clothes. I love finding unusual things in charity shops and then turning them into even more unusual things excellent um, I have to I wish you could see Ellie now because <laughs> uh, one thing I love about Ellie she always looks incredible I think you've like you've definitely influenced the way I choose to dress myself now I, I would love to think that people that see the amount of flowers and fruit, <laughs> fruit and weird things that I put on myself makes them feel that they can do that too. Yes. That's, but that's what the zine is meant to yes. do as well, is that um, I don't know a lot about all the other people out there who are making their own clothes or thrifting or, uh, you know, all the different ways that you can clothe yourself beyond just, you know, walking into a, mm. a big chain and buying mm. something off a rack that's been made in a sweatshop. Absolutely. You know, there's yeah, yeah, there's yeah. so many people out there doing things differently that I don't know about and yeah. I want to find out about them. But I also want I want everyone to, to share those things and, and to think, oh, maybe I could have a go at just sort of, you know, embellishing something that I've had at the back of my cupboard for ages and I just want to, you know, rather than throwing things away, give them new lives and, and have a go at things. So, yeah. It's interesting you talk about this idea of the artist who, you know, the, the, the famous artist who, you know, suffered for their art. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that kind of myth. That, yeah, myth, um, yeah. For example, um, Van Gogh, who I sometimes call Van Gogh, and I'm told that one is right, and I don't know which Thank it is. You. Oh, <laughs> we don't know. Van Gogh, but who knows? Maybe uh, I say Gogh, and it's probably not. Write in and tell us. Um, please, I need, <laughs> please yeah. tell us. Uh, I did actually do art history in my <laughs> <laughs> I should admit that now, that was in my degree. Uh, uh, it's yes. a hot day, yeah. guys. I'm really Let's sorry. not. <laughs> the um, thing with Van Van Gogh is um, that uh, I think that actually Hannah Gadsby talks about this yes. in Nanette, which is an amazing. Oh, uh, Nanette, thing. if you haven't seen it already, it changes the rules. It's incredible. Yeah, it's so brilliant. Um, Comedy, it's a yeah. new kind of stand up. It's, um, it's essential. Theory. Yes. Um, but Sorry. <laughs> uh, she, uh, I think, talks about this as well, where um, Van Gogh is sort of uh, seen as an example of where you should. Um, uh, you should allow artists to really wallow in their mm. mental illness because mm. that's where the creativity comes yes. from. Yeah. And you know, if we if it wasn't for his you know problems, we wouldn't have the sunflowers. And then you know, um, uh, in, in the stand up, she she points out that actually um, it was because of the medication he was taking for epilepsy mm -hmm. that he was seeing the colour yellow particularly brilliantly mm -hmm. and that's probably why so it was actually the, the kind of help that he was being given yeah. that maybe allowed him to live even the time that he did have and therefore yeah. make the art that he did have yeah. so I think it's really it's really damaging to have this idea that oh you know if you're creative you should embrace mental illness <laughs> no, <laughs> because no. you know not not to devalue the art that comes from it because mm. it, of course it's mm. you know sometimes one of the most affecting yeah kinds yeah but that art has only reached us because that person continued to choose to live you know totally. like and that you know that is part of mental health not mental illness i love chatting with ellie i could chat with her for hours and hours she has so many interesting insights into um, the arts world and the the mental health world and and she bravely shared uh, with me her 
her story of having an eating disorder in her teens and and how that affected her and how she got through that um and we talk about all sorts of things perfectionism uh cbt uh cognitive behavioral therapy um uh and we talk about her physical pain as well she has joint hypermobility syndrome uh so it's really interesting to discuss the different ways um her mental and physical health have affected her uh and and we also just have a laugh we also um we uh <laughs> we both get really anxious about maybe the way things we said have been interpreted so i might even try and do a little reel of us like talking about something and then going uh, but just to make sure we're clear, I'm not saying let's say this like this, and it's always this and this, and we're just so like delicately stepping. And that's it, you know. That's an example of how our brains are working in similar ways. It's like protective ah thing. Uh, so I think that might be quite interesting to share. Um, and thank you, Ellie. And her season, uh, her her episode two of her zine uh, will be out uh, this week or next week. Look out for it. Google her Etsy shop. So irregular. And uh, all the profits go to Fashion Revolution, which is a not-for-profit global movement with teams in over a hundred countries around the world. And they campaign for systematic reform of the fashion industry with a focus on the need for greater transparency in the fashion supply chain. Uh, so it's a really worthy cause to support and a fantastic zine at that so thank you Ellie My next guest is Miguel Amortigui. Miguel is an award-winning filmmaker, photographer, investigative journalist and participatory photography trainer. He's worked all over the world uh, in some really um, troubled situations uh, trying to uh, inspire people um, uh, with art, their artwork, uh, and and draw that out of them, but also um, shining uh, a light and a lens on um, really awful situations around the world, and trying to raise public awareness about them. Uh, one of them, in particular, uh, was the Calais Jungle, uh, and that's how we connected initially. Um, Miguel was actually uh, staying on our sofa. He um, he is a really good friend of my flatmate's sister's partner and uh he'd popped um to london to to be in a play uh, which then turned out to be a good chance theatres the jungle and i um i deeply admire good chance theatres work i i had the privilege of working with them for a sm- very small time earlier this year and so we got into big chats um the following morning uh, about his work uh, and uh, and especially about the jungle. He's published a book called Voices of the Jungle, uh, which shares uh, many a story from many residents uh, of the jungle who found themselves there uh, and lots of uh, photographs as well of um, the kind of situations uh, they would come up against. It's, it's an incredible, uh, life-changing book uh, that I think everyone should read. Um, he's currently with Good Chance Theatre in New York uh, publicising the book alongside the production The Jungle Uh, uh, here he is to um, to tell you a little bit about um, the situations he's come up against Uh, uh, it's quite a a shocking story that he tells in this clip uh, so just to warn you there Um, but a, a very powerful one I think uh, so, so here it is. And that's that's, that's exactly the the the, the outlet that uh, artists have is their representation of of what goes through their souls, and their day by day, and how they cope 
with this existence, which in a way, when someone say ignorance is a bliss, they are completely right. In the moment that, that you question everything that goes through your life, everything that your society represents and, and, and it stands for, it can be painful. It can be, it can be really hard to be aware of that reality. And you need to find out ways that to, 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 to show how your emotions are represented. That could be through photography, music, painting, art. Any kind of art is, 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 is healthy, I think. It helps you a lot to, to move in this spectrum of what reality is in your mind. You know? it's, it's, it's very interesting how raw, raw emotions can, can shift a situation. Uh, a situation that is so let's imagine a dark room mm -hmm. and one spotlight into a center of the room and it's a really hard situation it's very dark and it's just one reality that light and different emotions can bring can shift the illumination of, the, of that room like if they were mirrors can it spread the light mm. and illuminate different parts so every emotion that comes into that light could divert the light they can divert the intensity of the light yeah can bright that dark situation yeah into most luminous place and can make you cope with it and those 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 emotions that are embedded in the in, in our day by day egocentrics the uh, happiness sadness fear uh, humor the, 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 those, 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 those emotions can change a situation. Things like that happen more, a lot of a lot of the time. As a photographer, you can you can you can modify the situation like that. For example, in the camp, in the refugee camp in Cali, when it was a horrible moment, when uh, there were two days before the the camp was evicted, so everybody was trying, didn't know what to do. Uh, it was dangerous at the time. And when I'm leaving the camp at 10 o'clock at night, I see a family coming. And I can only see the silhouettes. So I start taking photographs of the silhouettes. And when they come, they are arriving to the camp two days before the evictions of the camp. So there's no hope for them, basically. And I start to talk to them. And they're from Syria. And they didn't know what was happening. They didn't know anybody in the camp. 10 o'clock in the night, they're going to have to sleep outside. They're carrying these bags. So when I offer my help and we start to move the bags, the suitcase, trying to find uh, one of the volunteers to see if we can assignate something for them. And the French police arrive, intercept them, and open the bags, and start to throw their search in the bags, and start to throw their things in the mud, in the wet mud, all their clothes in the wet mud. And then they point to the to the mom. It was uh, the mother. It was the daughter. It was around sixteen, and two little kids. And it points the mother for that bag. Open the bag, and the woman open it. And she says, "It's my underwear. Please don't." It's a Muslim woman. She's really embarrassed, and she doesn't want to show her underwear. And I say, "Open it. Show us. Show us." And what about those ones? And she has to hold her underwear they're laughing at her they're laughing and now your daughter and she's like no please my daughter no and in that situation I hold my camera and they look at me and say you don't touch that camera 
you know, you get arrested with you take one photograph. So I'm in a situation I can't do I can't do anything. And the only thing that I can see is the, the two kids crying because they f- see their mom crying. And they see their mom being humiliated. And in that situation, what can you do? It's really, really hard. It's breaking your, your soul, it's breaking your heart. And, and, and there's a moment when, 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 when you have to step up and make your, your stomach, your heart, you know, strong and like a rock and then I took um, the same situation in Africa I took the my uh, no an umbrella I think they had an umbrella and I took the umbrella from them and I balanced it in my in my nose that was my party trick most of the time when situations like this happen and I balanced on my nose and I started to do a little clown routine and in my chin and, and, and the kids and I brought the kids to me and I was they were laughing laughing while while their mom Basically, it was being uh, abused by the police. There was nobody else to, to that, that could help. So the only the only thing that I could do is minimize the pain yeah. on these children because those children were keeping the trauma and they were collecting traumas from the moment that they lived before Syria, their journey, and experience in the camp. So that was the only thing I could do. And 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 then finally they finished. Uh, the kids were laughing, and I remember to see one of the one of the policemen, a young guy. He was looking at me, and there was something different on his eyes than the yeah. rest of the police. Yeah, there was that vidriosity, that glass kind of like look like of like about to cry, mm-hmm. and he understood. Mm-hmm. He understood. The rest were just animals, really. Doesn't matter how much power you have in a situation. Doesn't matter how strong you have to follow rules. There has to be a humanity and, and and a conviction that says to you, this is not right. Mm. And if I have to do the searching because security reasons, I shouldn't exploit that situation to deshumanize someone. Mm. And if I'm following orders because that's my job and couldn't do anything else at my level, okay, but at least try to be human, try to, to respect mm. that. And and that's what we're fighting. But in situations like that, humor create this reflection. The same the same analogy, no? To bring light to somewhere that is completely dark. If you've been affected by Miguel's story, there are ways you can help refugees this Christmas and all year round, and particularly this Christmas, the Choose Loves pop-up store is back in Soho which has been set up by Help Refugees Uh, the address is 30 Fubits Place, Soho, London W1F7PU Uh, and there you can there's a whole range of um, different gifts and resources you can purchase that go directly to uh, refugees um, in Calais and around the world and they make it super super easy um, in terms of showing you the range of options of how you can help a family or an individual Um, and you can also uh, purchase the t-shirts that have been around um, for a really long time as well Uh, Help Refugees in general are an amazing organisation helprefugees.org if you go to their website they've got loads of different tabs on how to fundraise how to volunteer how to donate 
um, Good Chance themselves, goodchancetheatre.org.uk. If you go there, they're still in Paris at the moment, always needing volunteers um, and support. Uh, and there's a contact page on their website. Uh, they're also in New York as, at the moment. And Miguel is with them promoting his book, uh, Voices of the Jungle. Um, as I said, it's um, it's a tough read. It's a life-changing read, um, hearing all, all of these people's stories. Um, and uh, and seeing uh, photographs of um, the environment they were living in for so long in Calais and that people still are living in uh, without that kind of uh, c- community setup of what the jungle had become. Um, so if you buy the book, uh, a percentage of the profits do go to help refugees directly. So if you go to uh, Miguel uh, Miguel's website, miguelamortegui.com, uh, you can purchase the book there. And I really, really recommend you do. And if you are in New York, do not miss the transformative, amazing production of The Jungle by Good Chance Theatre with Miguel's accompanying photo exhibition and other photographers who contributed their work. Also, The Guilty Feminist, uh, a podcast, one of my absolute, if not my absolute favourite podcast, um, that has had a huge impact on uh, me and uh, my friends' lives. Uh, they have an episode this week on active compassion, uh, so really clear tips and guidance on how to um to translate um your compassion uh, towards anybody who's currently a refugee in the world uh into um direct action and into ways to help them um this christmas and all year round um thank you deborah for all the work you do uh, obviously with the podcast but also with um uh, particularly uh, with anyone still in calais um and i haven't listened to the whole episode yet but i look forward to listening and to hearing from all the different guests uh, you have on about ways to help anybody in need thank you miguel uh for coming on the podcast and i look forward to sharing the whole interview uh with everybody soon we talk about uh what led him to this incredible life uh that he leads uh how he um copes with his own mental health through the process uh and uh you know touching on uh the what he came across in the calais jungle as well with um the mass of volunteers that flocked there from all over all over the world um and the kind of lack of um uh bigger support above that which is normally there in these kind of crisis situations um and and yeah his outlets he's a, a painter i was very lucky to see a lot of his paintings uh, and that helps him through his work um the very inspirational guy thanks miguel our final interview we have to share is with Lynn Ruth Miller. Now, Lynn Ruth Miller is a comedy and cabaret artist, and she began this line of work age 70. That's right, and she is now 85. What a powerhouse. Absolute proof that life doesn't begin at a certain age, and hell no, does it end at a certain age. Life begins again and again and again, however you want to live it. And she is such an inspiration in that regard. She was a writer uh, way before she started comedy and cabaret. Uh, She had her own column in America and then has written many a book, one of which is called Starving Hearts, which is um, an autobiographical novel about um, uh, based on her struggles with anorexia uh, that at a time when, you know, mental health was... 100% not talked about uh, far less than today Um, and so we met at um, uh, a comedy night called Pope's Addiction Clinic which um, I'm going to be interviewing Pope as well on this podcast and she she did a piece um, inspired by 
by her struggles and turned it into into a comedy set and it was absolutely brilliant um so thank you lynn for for coming on and she's also an avid painter i interviewed her in her little art studio in her home and uh yeah we you'll hear on the clip her her explaining um where her desires to create come from. The thing that I remember is I was always, and I still am, always discovering, which is ridiculous. Curiosity. Yeah, Yeah, I was discovering. So I came home one day and I said to my mother, I know, I remember this one, I know where weeds come from. So my mother, who was definitely not the kind to even give a shit about weeds, I don't think she ever gardened or ever got her fingernails dirty. Uh, She said, um, yeah, and I'm all excited. I figured it out. And my theory was that when tree bark falls, of course, this makes no sense at all. (laughs) Weeds grow. I was sitting like six. But I remember how appalled I was that she wasn't really amazed that I had discovered this. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and it's always been that way. I'm always discovering. I've got a new way to... That's why this is so amazing. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm willing my estate to uh, super glue. Yeah. That's just super glue. Yeah. And I cannot tell you, I had no plan. Yeah. Every one of these paintings, I had a plan. Mm. In other words, I didn't just get up there and say, oh, mm. and then whoops, a flower pot. I didn't do that. I had a plan. This, I had no plan. And is your painting essential to your self-care in terms yes. of... Yeah. Yes. Well, tell me about that. What If I took it all away, you know, I mean, no, yeah. No, and I, I um, when I first moved here, because obviously this is not an art studio. I mean, it is. I it is now. <laughs> it is now. Yeah. But it wasn't. And I, uh, I had an art studio in... Um, oh, did you? Oh, yeah, I made yeah. it in, in California. I had wow. a huge... Place, uh, and actually, this is more conducive because my God, I'm right here. Yeah. But um, uh, for the first, mm, I think while I was in Brighton, I didn't do any art. Really? And uh, well, I think I did a little, but not much, because I know I had that up. So really? I must have done some because I had that up, but not much. And then I came here, and I realized that I was just. I was terribly nervous, and so I started doing this. I started saying, okay, after you finish dinner, why can't you just stay up one extra hour when nobody bothers you, when the phone never rings, and paint something? I started when I was uh, 32, I started. Yeah. Too, about. So you started writing before that? Well, writing when I was 10. Writing when you were 10. I think before then. I was 10, but... Yeah. Ah, my mother got me a diary when I was 10, and that was when I began to regularly write. And did the writing help um, with what you were going through in terms of the eating disorder? Was it something, was it a solace that helped you? It had to. I've written a book. I know, I know. So, yeah, that must have been a huge... Yeah, and my short stories. yeah. Uh, Yeah, I once said to a poet whom I love, why do you write? And she said to me, why do you breathe? Yeah, exactly. If I'm not writing, I have to write. Yeah. But I didn't realize I also have to do this. Yeah. This is nonverbal. I'm very 
I take very, very good care of myself. Because of the anorexia, I used to eat only one meal a day because I couldn't face food. But now I eat two. And if I am performing, or if I have a rigorous schedule, I, um, I always eat those two meals. I always get eight hours sleep. That doesn't mean I sleep eight hours. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm lying there for eight hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did that come from this love of the work and comedy and going, well, I have a commitment to myself to be able to sustain what I love? Or in the job? Oh, it's sort of like uh, just what I said. It's sort of like breathing. Yeah. You don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I've got to breathe. Yeah. You just do it. But the looking after yourself, learning to uh, think about... Oh, it's absolutely... Yeah. Uh, it's part of the way I think. It was so cool to be able to chat to Lynn Ruth uh, in her art studio. Um, yeah, surrounded by all these amazing paintings and collages um, that she's, she, yeah, using, being really economic and using um, possessions she's had through her life uh, that mean something to her, or just bits of rubbish like toilet rolls to create these new awesome collages and and that discipline to carve out an hour every day to be creative I really um admire that and with her rigorous schedule of comedy burlesque writing vlogging all these amazing things um so we didn't have a huge amount of time for our interview it might be slightly shorter than the other ones um but yeah she um she was really honest in uh and discussing her struggles with anorexia growing up um and uh moments uh where she, really really scary moments for her and how she um got through got through them and uh yeah i really appreciate your uh your bravery and honesty in sharing that with us lynn ruth uh and i really look forward to sharing the whole interview soon and our final few guests for season one, we have Pope Lonergan, a fabulous comedian who runs Pope's Addiction Clinic. Uh, this is a confessional comedy night. It gets loads of awesome comedians involved, including Pope. And it is going to be on at the Camden Comedy Club on the 7th of January, 8 till 9 p.m. And also at the Vault Festival. So Google Vault Festival, Pope's Addiction Clinic, and you'll find all the dates there. Amazing lineups for every single one. Uh, he also works in a care home and, and does this amazing thing of um, running the care home tour, which gets um, comedians specialising in visual comedy around to um, dementia wards at care homes uh, to put on shows. Uh, and and he's found that um, people with dementia in these homes respond really well to it. Uh, so it's really inspirational, and I can't wait to talk to him more about that. We also have Joz Norris is back. So Joz is going to chat about Edinburgh, um, how he found it. Uh, he was on one of our initial Edinburgh shows, uh, how he found it, and uh, talk about how it's influenced his a new show, Joz Norris is Dead, Long Live Mr. Fruit Salad, uh, which is going to be on at the Vaults Festival on the 30th of January at 8.40. Uh, he's such a delight to chat to, and I can't wait to chat to him more. We also have uh, JP Rowden. He is a really good friend of mine, uh, a fantastic actor who I've had the pleasure of working with. Um, and uh, we used to live together, and we uh, had uh, quite... Um, 
quite difficult times uh, with our mental health together. Um, so it's going to be a really cathartic experience uh, chatting to him um, about both of our journeys, really. Um, and he certainly helped me with mine. Uh, and he's he's just a really down to earth, um, very talented guy. So I can't wait to talk to him and Catherine Armitage. Catherine Armitage um, is the artistic director of Tea Break Theatre. Um, she she's such a good friend of mine. Uh, she inspires me all the time. She's an incredibly talented director and writer. Uh, she also um, directs and uh, runs the um, Z- uh, comedy troupe Zazu, which is so funny. you got to check them out if you haven't already. Google Zazu comedy. Uh, and I think they have a show in the new year at Soho Theatre. Uh, so if you Google Zazu Soho Theatre, you will find it and you should definitely go because I'm in hysterics every show I see. Um, Kat uh, has been a huge support for me through my mental health struggles, both professionally and personally, because we've worked together many, many a time and I hope we will work together many more times. And uh, she, yeah, she's um, she's a she's a really inspirational person. So uh, can't wait for you to hear all she has to say on her work, why she loves what she does, and also her journey uh, with her mental health. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. Go for it. Uh, Be you, unapologetically. Share your eccentricities, your highs, your lows. Um, build a community of like-minded people who support you um, and know that there's people out there um, whatever um, dark times you're going through just know that there are other people out there who have experienced a similar thing and you're not alone you're never alone uh, and you've got this you really really have I'm just gonna uh, share a couple of things that um really helped me uh Brené Brown is a writer that inspires me all the all the time uh I can re- recommend all of her books anything she's ever written and her TED talks um and in terms of you know uh pursuing your uh creativity and uh the art that um that sets your soul free and and you feel compelled to do uh she has this um she says that she always goes back to um Theodore Roosevelt's powerful quote from his 1910 man in the arena speech And it goes, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Dare greatly, guys. You know... The world wants to hear what you have to say. In line with that, there's an amazing book by a comedian I adore called Chris Gethard. Um, if you haven't heard of him, look him up. He does all sorts of brilliant things. He's just published a book called Lose Well, which again um, has the same ethos of um, encouraging you to dare greatly with all your um, uh, endeavours, basically. And he says, um, life backed me into a corner and I had to push back. I hope you get a chance to do the same. And I hope because you've read this book, you can skip fearing the fear. You can't avoid the fight and you can't cut the line. But maybe by knowing how I eventually realised the value of failure and fear, you can laugh manically in the face of your own. Dive into it. The scarier, the better. 
choose to go off the deep end, choose to play it unsafe. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to experience your art. I want to hear your songs, read your poems, buy the things you knit and sell on Etsy. I want to know you freed yourself from the fear, doubt and shame of wondering what if. And I do too. So please keep sharing. Thank you. Bye. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about on the podcast today, a list of professional support helplines and websites are available on the show notes for this episode and the past two.